Hi, friends. I'm Allie Domerson, host of the Snapshot Testimony podcast. This is a podcast that explores the pivotal moments that shape a life of faith in Christ. This week, I'm talking with Jocelyn Jones. She's the founder of a Christian counseling company that's called Faith on the Journey. She's on a mission to help Christians heal from trauma and painful pasts. It started when she was serving in a community center in a neighborhood that was labeled one of Chicago's most dangerous. She saw firsthand the impact that gun violence was having on the students that she was serving, and she knew more needed to be done. So, Jocelyn, take me back to that moment. You're sitting down with this young woman who had recently lost someone to gun violence. What was it about her reaction that surprised you? Yeah, I was surprised by the fact that she was so numb. Mm. You know, normally when someone loses a loved one, especially in in the way that she did due to gun violence, you would expect to see a reaction. But she she didn't cry. It was almost as if she wasn't phased. And so I, I asked her, I'm like, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, it's okay to cry. And she told me something that I'll never forget. She said that if I cried every time I lost someone to gun violence, I'll be crying all the time. And I realized that this was really her coping mechanism to deal with all the loss that she experienced was to just numb out. And for me, that was a a turning point in my work, working with young people at the youth center at the time saying, we have to do something. Our young people and families are being traumatized by gun violence on the south side of Chicago, and they don't know where to turn to express their emotions, to process what's going on. And because yeah. they're in a chronic state of being exposed to this, they definitely need help. Mm. So that was they, a turning point for me. So your work, you were working at a at a community center that was connected to your church at the time. I started off working as the violence prevention manager. So this okay. really allowed for me to connect with young people closely as I was organizing a lot of programs for them. Yeah. Now, this... Tell me a little bit about the neighborhood for someone who's listening and maybe is not at all familiar with Chicago. Um, Tell me about the neighborhood, kind of the context that you were ministering. Yeah, so gun violence was common. Um, One of my friends who lives in a neighborhood, I was talking to him the other day. um, He said it's a normal thing to hear gunshots outside his window Hmm. regularly, which that's not normal. (laughs) But um, it was something that we got exposed to a lot. So there were times in which someone might be driving down the street and they they got hit by a stray bullet. And so for me, even though I I never witnessed someone getting shot, I was always scared. Like it was like this, your body starts going into fight or flight mode is a trauma response when you have seen or heard about so many people being shot in the area that you serve. And so for me, I realized it's not healthy for me nor anyone that I'm working with to be in a state where there's always violence. And Mm -hmm. in that community at the time, we were considered the fourth uh, deadliest community in Chicago due to gun violence. My goodness. So when you hear this from this young girl, if I cry every time, basically I'd never stop crying, that triggered something in you. And what was your next step? What did you realize that you needed to do? 
Well, one of the things that I learned about helping people to work through uh, the the pain and the emotions that they've experienced is to give them something to do to feel like they have some agency around the problem. So one of the, the, the programs that we started was a youth council, a violence prevention youth council, where we said, you know what, you don't have to be helpless in this situation. You can actually do something to create change. And so we started teaching them how to organize, how to reach out to the politicians for legislation around common sense gun laws, how to be someone who's a spokesperson to their peers around putting the guns down. Mm. And so one thing that we tried to do was empower them to be an agent of change versus just being someone who's just a survivor, yeah. uh, if you will, of what's happening. How would you describe what your faith was like in that season uh, of your life? Yeah, my faith was tested because sometimes, I mean, if you're honest, you question like, this is another baby who was shot, Yeah, you know, and it, it bothers you, especially when you're working so hard to create change. And so there were moments where I had wrestling matches with God about like, God, what is going on? Mm. You know, is what we're doing, you know, making a change? And, and God really had to work on my heart to keep at it, to say, yes, what you're doing does matter. Even if you save one, it makes a difference. Yeah. But my faith, Allie, definitely was tested. So how was faith on the journey born? Yeah, so that was a long journey to me uh, establishing that. <laughs> it was, was a journey actually, to faith on the it, journey. It was a journey to faith on the journey. <laughs> I was really seeking God about what's next. I had mm -hmm. served at the youth center for almost 11 years at that point and felt that God was calling me to go into ministry. But what did it look like? And I knew I wanted to give people hope uh, as they were struggling through difficult times in their life. And so I started off just blogging and just sharing and writing up testimonies of God, bringing people through difficult times in their life, whether it was gun violence, domestic violence, sexual assault, homelessness. It was a number of different stories. And for me, that was encouraging for me. It was healing for me as I was yeah. hearing these testimonies. And eventually the blog evolved into a podcast. And then the podcast, you know, was great. But I was like, okay, I need to do more for people outside of just giving them some encouragement through stories. People need community. And so eventually I came across a curriculum called the Trauma Healing Institute, and they created this curriculum where you pretty much have a Bible study that helps people to heal from trauma. It's a small group. And so we go over concepts of if we have a good God, why do we suffer so much? Right. Or, yeah. you know, struggling with the road of healing after experiencing loss. So really wrestling with grief and forgiveness and bringing our pain to the cross. I love the curriculum. And so I adopted that as my model. But then I realized that people in a group still needed more. They needed one-on-one -on -one support. And so that's what inspired me to say, okay, we need to have a team of trauma-informed Christian counselors to work with the people who are in these healing groups and in the community to really provide them with the one-on-one -on -one support they need to heal from the experiences that they've had. And the trauma-informed Christian counselors, did you find that that was a lane that a lot of people were already occupying, or did you feel like you were uh, kind of paving, laying down a new track? 
I felt somewhat like I was laying down a new track because for for many of the Christian counseling companies that I was researching at the time, I, I didn't see them focusing only on trauma and grief, which is our niche. And yeah. I also didn't see a, a lot of diverse companies. Diversity is important for us. Representation mm-hmm. is important. And so I wanted to make sure that I had people of color on our team as well so that we can support those who are in these communities who also need care, who want to be working with someone that looks like them. Yeah. Now, what does that look like, trauma-informed um, Christian counseling? What What is that? Well, it's, it's being able to look at someone's situation from the lens of the Bible, mm-hmm. but also having that trauma-informed background so that they do no harm as they are working with the person to take them back to those moments in their life when they were traumatized. One thing that I've learned in this work, a lot of times people don't even realize that they've been traumatized by an incident. They might have suppressed it. They might have been, for many reasons, told to move on, get over it. And so they never really dealt with those issues. So it's important to be aware of how to peel back that onion of someone's story in a safe way so you don't do any harm. And in the process, being able to tell people, hey, God is a healer. God does not want you to be held captive by the pain of your past. And so let's let's go to God's word that actually has many stories of trauma in it. <laughs> when we think about the story of the crucifixion, that was traumatic. Yeah. And I was I was having a conversation with my pastor the other day that was mind-blowing to me. He said, you know, I thought about Mary while she was sitting there watching her son be crucified mm-hmm. on the cross. How traumatic that was for her. And I'm like, you're right. There's so many stories of that. And and yet we also see how God is a healer in those roles. And so being able to intersect the Bible with mental health trauma-informed principles to be able to accompany someone on their healing journey is what our team of counselors does. Wow. Now, you when I look at what's been going on in Chicago, you know, and I've been living in Chicago and for a lot of years, it feels like there's this sense of hopelessness. Like we're almost like resigned to the battle being lost and it breaks my heart. It breaks mine too, Allie. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think we see so many people turning to things like drugs, drinking, even taking their own life to suicide. We see those rates chronically raising. Yeah. And and that's a concern because when you have no hope, when you give in to all the the craziness of this world, then we we won't be able to see change. Mm-hmm. And that's when I that's why I think it's so important for us as believers to encourage people to say there is hope because we know the end of this story. We win. Yes. And God is going to equip us to be able to do this important work to bring about change. So we, as the children of God, definitely can't give up. We're called to be the light, yes. the salt of the earth. And so helping people to understand that even though there is darkness and we need to acknowledge that there is darkness in the world, Mm -hmm. there is a light that is brighter than that darkness. And God has given us each individual task, a call to make our own imprint on the world to create that change. And it's up to us to walk it out in it. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's the darkness feels overwhelming, but just a little bit of light is visible mm-hmm. even in a really dark room. Um, what? Who do you work with? Is it primarily young people or are you working with uh, parents who've lost children? Who? What's your the primary demographic that the Lord has you working with? 
So right now we only work with adults, so 18 or older. Uh, Eventually we plan to expand to young people. But in terms of the type of trauma that they've experienced, uh, we, we do work with people who've experienced loss due to gun violence, domestic violence. Sexual violence is something that is pretty common that some of our clients come to the table with. Yeah, And so childhood unresolved trauma is a big one, too. Uh, people realize that they've been suppressing that for a long time and it's affecting them 20 years you know, later. Yeah. And so we help them to begin to work through that childhood trauma that they've experienced. Divorce. Divorce can be traumatic. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we realize and we work in that space as well. And then the fact that we've been in two years of a pandemic. That yeah. in itself is dramatic, Lots of you know, trauma. to work with people <laughs> as they adjust to this new normal that we yeah. have going on here. Now, what, what do you want churches to know? I mean, this mental health conversations are much more popular than I ever remember being, but I think sometimes there is sort of this battle between where the church can sometimes be resistant because obviously we don't, we want to rely on God. We want to prayer to be our first, our first response uh, what do you want churches to know about the role that trauma-informed counseling, that this type of service has working in correlation with what we're already doing as a body of Christ? I want churches to understand that it's both and. Yes. So we can have the spiritual piece to it. Obviously, we want to show people that they can come to God in prayer, but it's also okay to tap into outside resources. I always say that I think everyone needs to be on someone's couch, including the pastor for counseling. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you know, especially because pastors you know. are are probably the most isolated. I mean, in terms of who they can really confide in. So many pastors struggle in isolation, not really having anyone to open up to. Exactly. It's a heavy burden. Yeah. And it breaks my heart, Allie, when I hear stories of pastors who've taken their life because they stayed isolated, yeah. carrying that burden by themselves. We we can't have that. And so I think it starts with the pastor acknowledging that we all all need help on this journey called life. Yeah. It's okay to say, I don't have it all together, that I hurt sometimes, that I need help. And that that trickles down to the congregation because then they say, okay, you know, there's no shame in reaching out for additional support for whether it's counseling, whether it's a support group, whatever it is, you don't have to carry your burdens alone, especially when it comes to trauma. And so I think it's important for churches to begin having that conversation. I think it's important for pastors to begin to even include some dialogue about that in their sermon. And I think it's also important for churches to actually utilize what we learn from the Bible, which is an act of a lament where we cry out. Yes. Cry out to God during service, maybe one day, instead of the normal rituals, maybe we just create space for people to cry out for the fact that they're hurting because people have lost loved ones to gun violence. The world's had all these mass shootings. All this stuff is going on. We can't pretend that things is business as usual when Mm. it's not. And so acknowledging the pain and then creating spaces for people to actually share what's on their heart. That's the first step, Allie. Yeah. And so what's the next step for Faith on the Journey? Are you working in uh, conjunction with churches or is this something that just primarily exists in its own space? Yeah. So we do work with churches. We help them to become a trauma-informed church. We call it a trauma-healing church. What would that look like, a trauma-healing church? 
So they have a plan of action. And and first of all, they acknowledge that members in their congregation have experienced trauma. Uh, We want to help them to form a committee or a ministry that has trauma-informed parishioners who either offer what we call trauma healing groups, which we can train them on how to facilitate these healing groups that, again, are Bible-based, or they have or and I'll say they have resources available so that they can refer people who've experienced trauma. So versus someone coming to the pastor saying, I just experienced domestic violence, what I do in the pastors trying to frantically find something. Yeah. I think it's important for churches to have a resource guide available for referral partners ready to go. So when something does happen, they're able to pass someone off as a warm referral to help them to, again, move forward, get the support that they need, because everything can't be done inside the church. The pastor cannot counsel everybody. <laughs> and so you have to, you laugh and you know what I'm talking about. It's the truth. <laughs> And so we have to make sure there's a plan of action so that people can get the care they need, the pastor's not burnt out, and that the church is able to be a place of healing for the Mm -hmm. congregation. Oh, I love this. Has the Lord, I I have to guess that the Lord's taken you on your own healing journey as you are helping others heal. What does that look like for you as much as you can share? Yeah, I'm still under construction. (laughs) You know, there's moments in which uh, things from my past, whether it was uh, broken relationships, whether it was betrayal that I experienced, whether it's the gun violence, certain things kind of stir back up in me. Mm -hmm. But because I'm working in this space, I know where I can turn. Um, As I mentioned earlier about everyone needing a counselor, I have my counselor on speed dial. (laughs) So (laughs) when I need some additional support, I reach out to her. I have prayer warriors in my circle. I have places where I can remove my mask of strength. I talk a lot about people wearing an emotional mask to pretend that they're okay. Time out for that. Like there are people in my life who I can come to bare naked and say, I'm not okay today. I am on the struggle bus. Mm -hmm. I need some prayer. I need some godly counsel. And there's no shame in that. And so I think everyone needs to have those spaces in their life. But for me, when I preach, when I teach, I don't teach from a place of arrival. I'm on this journey of healing with you. I'm sharing what I'm learning along the way, and we can learn together. Snapshot Testimony is a Moody Radio podcast and short feature. If you'd like to learn more about Jocelyn's ministry, check out faithonthejourney.org. To connect with us here at Snapshot Testimony, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. I would love to hear from you. I'm your host, Allie Domerson. Together, we're sharing the moments that shape our faith in Christ. Thanks for listening.